listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. It's great to join with you today, even if we are somewhat removed by the separation of technology. I want you to know that if you are gathered with your family, and you, if you have children, you have your children gathered around you, I want you to know that I would love to be there right in that room with you. I'd love to bring my family and us just sit there and enjoy the presence of the Lord together. It feels so wonderful here in this house just as the team uh, pours their heart out to God. Um, I I love it. I I feel a little bit luckier than you because I'm able to be here. (laughs) And I'm, I'm not getting church like I'm used to, but I'm getting a little bit here in the house. And I wish so much that you could be here. I want to say thank you to our team here at First Church. We have the the greatest praise and production team in the whole wide world. I see the time they are putting into this to try to make uh, the service as um, spiritual, not just good or talented, but spiritual uh, for all of you wherever you are. And we are blessed for that. This past weekend was our Resurrection Day celebration. And of course, we weren't able to gather together. Um, but we did have nearly 3,000 views. And that's, that's fun. And that's not counting the, those of you who gathered your family together. Um, and so we're very, we're, we're glad for that, but nothing will replace coming together and worshiping together. Uh, so as you know, I say this every time I'm speaking to you, I miss you very, very much. I can't wait till we're able to get back together. And uh, when we do, I've had two different team members uh, tell me this morning, um, you know, I think when we get back together, we just need to have church every night. <laughs> uh, you probably know how they feel. We miss it, and we are going to be brought back together very soon. I do want to say one housekeeping thing. Um, if you have, um, if you want to pay tithes or give offerings that you, uh, but you don't want to go online and do it for whatever reason, you just don't trust the online system, um, I, I'm, a, I, I'm aware of that. Um, the office, the church office, there is someone here on Mondays um, from uh, about 9 a.m. till about 2. Um, and those of you who are regular givers, um, they, uh, and they, the office knows you, um, you're welcome to come by and bring um, your physical tithes and offering if that would suit you better. However, I will say this, um, um, if the office, uh, if our office manager doesn't know you, they we're not going to open the door for you. Um, sorry, that's just the way it has to be, and you can uh, maybe forgive us uh, so you can be saved. <laughs> we need to be forgiving, right? So um, that's just a quick thing. Also, if you're regular in your giving and you don't want to go online, if you want to reach out to one of our pastors, we might could arrange something <clears throat> where you could come by one of our houses and, and, and drop, drop it off just to serve you in that manner. All right. Uh, today I'm preaching a message entitled, quite simply, Blessed. We all of us want to be blessed of God. We all of us want to be, um, we want to live our lives with that sense of his favor uh, upon us. And so I am going to <clears throat> get right into this and I'm going to read Uh, from Genesis chapter number 12, and this is the great passage where the Lord uh, speaks promise to Abraham, that father of the faithful. And he says this in verse number two, I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you 
And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I've been spending a good amount of time uh, in the stories of the patriarchs recently. Uh, This past Wednesday night when we did our Bible study, if you were online for that, you'll notice that I I did it from the, the lives of the patriarchs. Um, and because of that, whenever I am studying uh, in an area of the Bible, uh, it will flow into all of the, the Bible study I do, all of the preaching I do. And this week, I could not stop thinking about this idea of what does it mean for us to be blessed, blessed of the Lord? What does it mean for us to have God's favor upon us? What would be the purpose for that? How do we pursue that? And on and on and on. And Truly, blessing begins at the very beginning, and it continues all the way through uh, the book of Revelations, and prophetically, it extends to us now. We still are the recipients of God's blessing, and at the end of this world as we know it, when there's a new heaven and a new earth that is uh, given to us, blessing is still going to be fundamental to the right relationship with with God. However, when we think about blessing, it leads us, it leads us down some paths of, of spiritual understanding. It leads us to some uh, arenas of spiritual maturity. Um, there is a great temptation within us, and not just us individually, but there is a temptation within modern Christianity. And honestly, to be fair, within the human heart, more than just modern Christianity, this desire to, to flip the tables on the Lord and have uh, the Lord serve our needs rather than having us being servants unto the Lord. Do you see? There's always this temptation. I think the most, the most uh, visible manifestation of this is uh, the prosperity doctrine or the prosperity gospel uh, where a believer, meaning well, uh, orients the whole of his or her life to pursuing uh, blessing of God in terms of prosperity. Now, it's natural for us to pursue the blessing of the Lord, but I think the correct approach to that is to say, Lord, I am yours. Use me for your glory, your purpose, your kingdom. Um, whereas prosperity doctrine tempts us to see the blessing of God, to see the favor of God in terms of prosperity. Now, what you'll notice is that when people preach this doctrine, they spend a lot of time in the Old Testament uh, referring to the children of Israel as a nation, as a tribe, as a people, as a family. Um, And the reason why they do that, the reason why they don't spend near as much time in the New Testament, in the Gospels, or even in the book of Acts, or even in the epistles, the reason why... Uh, is because if you look at the lives of the apostles or the lives of the disciples, um, by the calculus of the prosperity gospel, they all uh, were failures. Um, That's why they want to spend time in the Old Testament, these purveyors of prosperity doctrine. They want to spend time referring to um, the people of God as a nation because then the needs of the nation are wrapped up in what God is doing. Now, in the New Testament, 
There is a very different style of blessing, a very different style of favor. In the New Testament, it's not about how much you are given in the perspective of prosperity. It's how available you are to the purpose of the kingdom. Now, I don't want to get heavy and make anyone uh, start uh, fearing that, you know, bad things are going to happen. You're like, "Uh, all right, Pastor Nate, I'm, you know, I'm already at risk of being laid off. I'm already stuck on my house. And now you're going to preach this? Really? (laughs) Forgive me. Say with me. I want you to see deeper than just the shallowest interpretation or the shallowest understanding of Scripture. Indeed, I want to, if it's possible, I want to invite you to a better understanding. I want to invite you to a place of somewhat more maturity where we are not simply tempted to see God in terms of what he will do for us and see ourselves in terms of what we can do for God. So real quick, let me get back into this example of the patriarchs. And I want to show you, even in Genesis, uh, from creation uh, through the patriarchs, you will see uh, blessing in a very consistent way. It is uh, God's favor, yes. It is truly the bestowing of divine privilege. And, uh, And to be honest, I, as an individual, not just a preacher, not just a pastor, as an individual, I want to live my life with the bestowing of divine privilege upon me. It is a bestowing of divine right, do you see? It is a gifting of, of, of God's favor. <clears throat> and also, it is a conveyance of divine responsibility. It is to have the hand of God upon some portion of the creation, on some portion of the created. Abraham will be blessed more than the other men and women of his generation. He will receive a privilege, a right, and a responsibility and favor beyond the rest of uh, his peers, uh, the other men and women, the other uh, peoples, tribes, and nations. He will receive God's blessing. I want that. I know you do too. Um, it's not wrong to desire that. It's not an error to be hungry for that. I, I will, I will say the error creeps in when we have to define what God's blessing is. But as long as we can surrender our wishes and wants and say, God, I'm going to let you decide how I'm blessed. I am going to trust you to know what is best for me. I am going to surrender this flesh, this carnal battle to define the wants and the wishes of, of what I have and what I am giving. And I'm going to say instead, Lord, Lord, have thine own way in me. Now, uh, that is an act of submission. It's not easy to the flesh. That is an act of divine, um, or I should say surrender to the divine. That is true. Um, It is a surrender, an accurate surrender, an accurate humbling of ourselves to God where we say, not my will, but thine be done. And yet, favor is real and blessing is uh, real and to be blessed is to be uh, one of God's own who has the benefits of God's provision and the blessing of God's care and the most, most highly of all 
the very, the very blessing of his presence. One thing you'll see in the word of the Lord is that to be favored of God, particularly when you read these passages from Genesis uh, through the patriarchs, you will see uh, that when you are blessed, when you are favored, um, uh, then God is with you. Chapter 3, verse number 8, God came to walk with his people. And again and again, you'll see the godly, the blessed, the chosen, the covenant people described as walking with God. Chapter 5, chapter, uh, verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 22, 24, chapter 6, verses 9. And later, uh, you will see the Lord telling Abraham uh, that I will guide you. I will lead you. I'm going to be your personal guidance system, your spiritual GPS system to lead you to a land that I will show you. It's not just going to be a land. It's going to be a land I will show you. And again and again in the scripture, you see the presence of God as a sign of favor. And God says uh, uh, repeatedly that I will be your God. I will be a God to you and to your offspring after you. Chapter 17 verse number one to you and to your offspring after you we all of us crave the presence of God we crave the favor of God we crave and we long for the hand of God upon our life now I want to just take a break here uh, and I want to uh, perhaps speak to the uh, the younger the younger members of our church. Um, I want to speak to our children who aren't able to be in our, our classroom. Uh, First Kids has uh, great teachers and they have a great time. They have their own building. They, they, they do a lot of stuff. Um, now you're sitting with your parents and you're hopefully, hopefully you're watching this. Um, if not, have a good day, enjoy whatever you're doing. But if you're sitting with your parents, I want to speak to you uh, right now. And I, I want to say to all of the uh, children of of First Church uh, members and First Church saints and First Church leaders, I want to speak to you and I want to say this. So much of the manner in which that your parents have chosen to live their life um, is directly because they crave God's blessing upon your life. Um, So much of the choices they make is not about what they have in this, the here and now, but because they don't simply want God's blessing for them, they want God's blessing to be generational. And this is a biblical idea. Uh, when your mom and dad, when they're faithful to a church, a local church, it's not just so they're going to be saved. It's because they want the blessing of God upon the family, not just them, but upon their children. When they live their life that way, when they volunteer their time, that volunteering isn't about salvation. That isn't about them. Uh, you know, trying to buy their way into heaven. They're doing that because they crave the purpose of God. They crave the presence of God. And they don't want it just for them, but they want it for you. Your parents support this church. The reason why we have a, a staff, um, of, 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 the reason why we have a building, the reason why we have anything is because your parents support this church. And they're not doing that because that's the best thing for them in the short term. 
They're doing that because they crave a right heart with God. They crave the presence of God. They want their heart to reflect their commitment to God. That's not just a commitment to a church where they are blessed. They see the value of a generational blessing on their life. This is biblical. This is what God promises to Abraham. I will be your God and I will also be God to your offspring as a parent. I crave that for my children. My parents craved that for me. And to be honest with you, when I was young, I I didn't understand it very much. But now that I'm older, I see so many choices that my parents made that weren't about short-term having, but they were about long-term being. Not just what we have, but who we are in God. All right, I'm getting distracted here. So I want to ask you this question. Um, I want you to consider something very, very sincerely here with me. Uh, When we think about what God has promised uh, Abraham, uh, it makes sense for Abraham. It truly makes sense. We know what's in it for Abraham. Think of the promises that God has, God has made to him. He's promised that I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. He's promised, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. He's promised, I'm going to show you a land that I have, I've carved it out for you. I am going to be a blessing upon you. And the people who bless you, I'm going to bless them. And the people who curse you, I'm going to curse them. Abraham, I have your back. I am committed to you. You are going to have many nations come through uh, your lineage. Now, this is tremendously valuable to the people of this time. They think of children as the sign of divine blessing in their life. It is a form of favor. Abraham, God says, I'm going to make your descendants like the sands of the sea. I am going to bring many nations through you. Further, he says this to Abraham, many kings are going to come through you. This is amazing. This is everything Abraham would want. If you would take almost any ancient um, man of this time, this, uh, a man with the values of this era, and ask him what he wants, his list of wants would look very much like what God has promised Abraham. We know that Abraham is blessed financially. He has tremendous herds. He has tremendous uh, household. Um, he has many servants. Uh, and they're not just servants in the sense of slaves. Uh, they're there by choice. How do we know that? Well, the Bible very clearly says that Abraham armed his servants. Well, the difference in a servant and a slave is you, you can't arm a slave because they'll kill you as soon as they get a chance. But when they're joined with you, when their interests are with your interest, in other words, think tribe, not what we think of as, as slavery. Think tribe and people joined together, a family. Those are the people you can arm. Those are the people who are with you. Their interests are bound with your interest. Abraham is tremendously blessed. So this is what I want you to see. We know what's in it for Abraham. Here's a fair question. What's in it for God? What is in it for God? Now, once you start thinking this way, 
I'm telling you, it will change the way you pray. Because if you allow yourself to be shallow in your prayers, your prayers will sound like a Christmas list of a boy who's been good or a girl who's been good all year and now they expect to get what they've been promised. I've been good, now gimme, gimme, gimme. If that's shallow prayer, but what's in it for God? What is God getting out of this? Now, remember, um, here recently we did a series on love and holiness, and we talked about uh, what love teaches us about the nature and the heart of God, and what love teaches us about a right relationship with him. Now, if you see God only as parent, parental love, then it makes more sense that you just show up with a Christmas list, because uh, parental love is very much about unequal love, Um, and uh, there's things to be learned there, but remember that is not the whole of the story and in fact in the church age God teaches us through the love of people who are equals the love of uh, uh, shall we say romantic love this is the image of the church it's it's no longer the love of uh, I am helpless and you are everything but it is a more equal love it is a more it's 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 the example of, of, of a marriage not simply parents and child what does that mean there must be something in it for God why would God do this I know what's in it for Abraham but what's in it for God now the moment you have that revelation I'm telling you it's going to make you want to find a prayer closet and examine how you've been serving God Lord I know what's in it for me but what's in it for you I want First Church to be the kind of church where we care about what's in it for God. It's not just about what we get, but what is in this for God? Well, I'm going to try to show you a couple things, and this is just the barest glimpse. But uh, if you'll stay with me, I think it'll help open our eyes a little bit. Later on in the prophets, we'll start reading some passages where we start to see what is in it for God. We know what's in it for Abraham. I want to read Isaiah 42, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7 I am the Lord I have called you in righteousness I will take you by the hand and keep you I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations if we were all here this is where I would make everyone say that with me a light for the nations what's in it for God we're trying to figure that out I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon what dungeon what are we talking about from the prison those who sit in darkness who who sits in darkness what are we talking about Let's continue. Isaiah chapter number 49, verse number 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength, he says. Now this is what he says. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to bring back the preserved of Israel? We understand that. This is covenant theology. This is the house of Israel. We know what's in it for Abraham, but what's in it for God? 
I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is a different way of thinking. We know what's in it for us, but what is in it for God? If we were to take some time to reevaluate serving the Lord, not in terms of what is in it for us, but in terms of what is in it for God, I promise you, it would make you grow up spiritually very fast. It would make you to put, put away the theological milk for babes and eat some meat for the spiritually mature. It would force you to reassess what you do and why you do it. Because this is the reality. We have become so obsessed with the idea of earning our salvation that everything we do, if we're not careful, is a plan to make God like us it's a plan to make God save us as if we could be good enough to twist his arm behind his back and he says all right of course I've got to save you look how hard you've tried this is the error of that way of thinking that leaves us obsessed on what is in it for us and miss the point of what is in it for God because God did not save you just so you and yours could have and be God saved you because he needs a light to the nations. He needs people who will make a difference in the world in which he has placed them. We know what's in it for us, but what, pray tell, is in it for God? Let the church be the church. Let God's people be God's people. That's not about us swaggering around with about what we have and who we are and how we got it right and everybody else is lost. That's what's in it for us. What's in it for God? He's looking for a light to the nations that all the people, that, all, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I can't just preach because I enjoy preaching. Full disclosure, I enjoy preaching. I enjoy study. I, I enjoy uh, spending time in the word of the Lord. I enjoy enjoy exploring the themes of the Lord. Uh, and, and because of my vocation, I'm able to do that. But that's what's in it for me. What? I can't simply do it because I enjoy it. I have to see that the salvation of the Lord is being extended to the ends of the earth. All of our music team, our praise leaders and our, our singers and our musicians, honestly, full disclosure, they enjoy what they do. But that can't be the motivation behind it. That's what's in it for us. What are we doing for the desires of the heart of God? This is what I want you to know. If you change your approach to God from what's in it to me to what's in it for you, it will make you a man or a woman after God's own heart. Let me show you one more passage here in Zechariah chapter number eight, and I want to read to you at verse number 13. Uh, this is the Lord speaking to the remnant that have returned to a devastated promised land. Uh, the nation of Israel has been destroyed, they have, they have been exiled, and now uh, the Lord has returned a remnant of them. They are weaker in many ways than they have, they have ever been as a nation. Uh, they, you could arguably say, had been weaker as a tribe, but this is the weakest they've ever been as a, as a nation. They are a remnant 
of people in a devastated land. They are surrounded by powerful enemies. They are under Persian law and Persian rule. Don't think they're their own nation yet. They're a vassal state of Persia. They are devastated. And this is what God says to them through Zechariah. I will save you so that you may become a blessing. I will save you so that you may become a blessing. These people don't feel like a blessing. They feel like they're barely making it themselves. And you know what's in it for them? We want to restore the nation. We want to build again the walls. We want to again have a house of worship. We want to be a people. We want to worship by our convictions. That's what's in it for us. But God's telling them what's in it for him. I am going going to bless you so that you may be a blessing. And this is what I want to uh, sum up with here today. Obviously, as you can tell, I could preach a lot longer on this, um, but I don't want you to click away by me indulging myself too much. I want to end practically. I, I think it's helpful for us after we have explored themes of the scripture and spent some time looking at patriarchs and promises. I think it's appropriate for us to uh, come back to the practical if we if we think in terms of what's in this for God not simply what's in it for us it would re-establish our why it would re-found it would it would make our foundation strong again as to what we should be doing and why we should be doing it the first thing I think we would do if we really were convinced that God was, or that, that, that we should be interested in what's in it for God. The first thing I think we would begin to do is we would be much bolder in speaking the promises of God to a broken world. I think if we were going to switch to what's in it, for, from what's in it to us to what's in it for God, we would begin to see ourselves truly as the mouthpiece of God. And we would speak the promises of God to a broken world. We would do that. We would be like the prophet Ezekiel when the spirit of the Lord caught him up and took him in the spirit to a valley of dry bones and asked him, uh, uh, Ezekiel, can, can these bones live? And Ezekiel is being a good, wise student of the word of the Lord. He doesn't have an opinion. He says, Lord, you know. And and uh, the word of the Lord says, prophesy to these bones. Isaiah figuratively stands in a valley of death, but he's going to speak life. This is an image of what God's people is called to do. God needs a voice in the here and now. Angels won't speak this, speak this gospel and preach this truth. It is upon us to do that. We witnesses of the glory. We testimonies of a spiritual transition. We are the ones who speak this. Ezekiel, speak to a valley of dry bones. God's people, you, yes, you. You have believed on the Lord. You've repented of your sins. You've been filled with spirit and given his name. You are the modern Ezekiel and you are standing every day before a valley of dry bones and you prophesy to those dry bones and you say, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will lay sinews upon you. What are you talking about? I know you're dead, but I'm going to restore you. This is what we speak to a world filled with spiritual death. We speak life. 
I will put my hand upon you, God says. Let me speak to this generation. God's not given up on you. He's going to put sinews on you. He's going to cover those sinews with muscles. He's going to put spiritual organs of life within you. He's going to cover you in a healthy skin and fill you with healthy blood. And you are going to live again. If we asked ourselves what was in it for God, we would see how we have become the voice of the Lord and we would prophesy to a generation of death, but we would speak of a promise of life. The second thing I think we would do if we spun this thing around, instead of asking ourselves what was in it for us and ask ourselves what was in it for God, the second thing I think we would do would be after we have spoke the promises of God, we would, we would represent the power of God. This is the work of a testimony. There's nothing more powerful than a testimony. In fact, your job really is to testify of what God has done for you, not to argue with people who don't want to believe. Uh, I, I, I understand the temptation. Uh, and in some circumstances, it can be appropriate to discuss these issues with someone who doesn't believe. But really, we are like the man who, having been accused by both sides, say, look, um, I, not to get political here, let me just say this. This is what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> now, you can have whatever opinion you want to have, but this is what I know. Jesus changed my heart. You can believe or not believe, but this is what I know. If Jesus hadn't changed me, you wouldn't want to know me because I would be a much uglier person than I am in my heart. Jesus changed me. We would represent the power of God. Now, real quickly, uh, John 14, verse 12, Jesus makes the statement that uh, we often rally. As preachers, we rally around this and people say, praise God. But uh, really, if you, <laughs> once the song is done and everybody's done shouting and, and you think, you know, seriously about the subject, it's a little bit interesting. And that is this. Jesus says, uh, <laughs> um, if you believe in him, that greater works than these will you do. Now, look, I'm a Bible student just like you and I've read that for years in terms of miracle competition. It's like a miracle competition. You know, greater works than these shall you do. It's like, like when, 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 when uh, Nathan sings, um, 50 people get blessed. But when Nathan sings, 500 people get blessed. Because it's like, a, uh, it's like a, a miracle competition. That's how we, what, you don't agree? You don't, look, if you don't want to be a believer, that's on you. Okay, but I'm just saying, this is how we tend to read that scripture. We get caught up in miracle competitions, greater works than these shall you do. Oh, you put a thousand to flight? (laughs) Brother Kenny put 10,000 to flight. Do you see? Greater works than these shall you do. But there's a problem here. There's a problem here for all you Bible nerds. Not one disciple did greater miracles than Jesus. Not one. The Apostle Paul did not do greater miracles than Jesus. Nobody has ever done a greater miracle than Jesus. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it back up. And nobody done better than that. What are you talking about, Lord Jesus? I deeply believe that because miracles are easy for God and hard for us, we value the dramatic. We value 
the, the powerful. Um, but from God's perspective, things are a little bit different. Remember when Jesus said, don't be afraid of the guy who can destroy your body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy your soul. In heaven's view, the greater work is not a physical healing. It is someone repenting of their sins, taking on the name of Jesus, and becoming the temple of the Lord filled with his presence and his spirit. I literally believe in heaven's view. A greater work is when someone is spiritually healed... Not when they're physically healed. I believe when someone is spiritually healed, it is a greater work than if they were physically healed. We must, all of us, represent the power of God. What do we do? First of all, practically, we're going to speak the promises of God. We're going to represent the power of God. You tell your testimony. Even if your testimony was, I once was lost in sin, and then Jesus entered in, and then a little light of heaven filled my soul. Whatever it is, you tell your testimony. Represent the power of God. And finally, and I'm, I'm done. We have to, in our character and in our lifestyle, we have to manifest the heart of God. We must live the witness that we claim. We must, in our lives, demonstrate the change that we claim. It's like Paul says, you are living epistles known and read of men. We must manifest the heart of God. That's why as a church, we're going to love imperfect people. We're manifesting the heart of God. That's why we're going to put up with inconsistent people because that pretty much is all of us in some way. I mean, I'm glad you're organized now, but honey, you haven't always been organized. We're going to manifest the heart of God by forgiving not just seven times, but 70 times seven. We're going to manifest the heart of God by always erring on the side of seeking the one who was lost. God's not satisfied with a 99% success rate. There's one who was lost. You're going to feel that in first church culture. We're going to practically, as we said, speak the promises of God, represent the power of God, and manifest the heart of God. Wherever you are all across the metro, will you just take a moment and bow your head? Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus. I feel your presence so strong here. I wish everyone watching this could be here because I feel like right now I could could open this altar and this altar would feel with people who want to ask themselves this question. I know what's in it for me, but what's in it for you, oh God? As a church, Lord, we don't want to be self-serving and self-centered. We don't want to be self-obsessed. We don't want to be spiritually narcissistic and call it religion. We don't want to celebrate ourselves and call it the gospel. We don't want to exalt ourselves and call it truth. Lord Jesus, we want to manifest your light. And we want to live in a manner that your salvation would extend to all the nations. Lord. I know we're separated in this time by distance, but we can still be unified by your presence. So what we're feeling right now, let it move into every household today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We love you. We miss you. It won't be long, and we'll be back together. All across the metro, just join with our worship team. 
sit there in the presence of the Lord. Close your eyes, lift your hands, and sing. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.